Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. They got science to celebrate! Demons blissed out! Come on! There is rebellion in the wind. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaur fossils? God put those here to test our faith. That's a damn lie, I, I saw them on my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did it illusions, man! None of it is true! I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniacs! In God's name, you people are the real thing! We are the illusion! Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast, and I have with me Shane Newsome. What's up, Shane? What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me, Andy. Absolutely. I like to I like to bring Shane on when the conversation will definitely gain from his presence, and I think this will be one of those <laughs> conversations. But, uh, mm-hmm. A while back, I was lucky enough to go on a wonderful podcast called The Melt Podcast, and I would love to introduce my friends, Chris and Hunter from the Melt Podcast to the deep share. What's going on, guys? It's, wow. it's going great. It's doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely. And I know we had a pretty uh, fun conversation the last time we got together on your show. So I figured we'd have another one here for sure. Let's do it. <laughs> so for my audience that may not be familiar with your podcast, tell us a little bit about how you guys got started and tell us a little bit about yourselves. You want to go first or do you want to do it? Go for it. Okay. When was it? I guess 2018, 2018, summer of 2018, I started, I was listening to a lot of, uh, I was actually the main podcast I was listening to that it kind of pushed me in the direction of doing my own was the Duncan Trussell family hour. Likewise. And, yeah. <laughs> cool. cool. Well, what, I, what I liked about it is that he wasn't, he didn't trap himself to a certain kind of subject matter. So mm-hmm. he would have stand-up comics on. He would have uh, uh, other people I can't think of, chaos magicians, Satanists, like lots and lots and lots of different people, people who study dreams, all kinds of people. And I was like, wow. So there must, people actually must be interested in all this stuff or this guy wouldn't have such a popular podcast because I'm interested in this stuff. So I would love to be able to do this, but I actually started off thinking that, I would just have people on to tell their stories about their experiences and not necessarily people that have written books or done research or anything like that, but just everyday folk. So I kind of started putting my feelers out, kind of just was tossing around ideas in my mind. And I was thinking, well, maybe I can do a combo of both. Maybe I can have stories and then maybe interviews too with people. So I started contacting people and I recorded maybe five or six different episodes. And this was, I was on my own at this point. And, uh, you know, I, I was a, a little shaky as far as starting the interview pro- process. And I'd done zines before in the past and I had interviewed people, but never sort of like in real time on the spot. It was always transcribed and in some little Xerox magazine or something like that. So it was a different, uh, I was, it was outside of my comfort zone. Let's just say that. So 
I had to sort of build my confidence up and I had some guests that were fantastic and I had some guests that were kind of so-so and, but I was, you know, I kind of by, by trial and uh, trial by fire, I've kind of figured out sort of the direction that I wanted to go in. And then that is shortly after that time is when Hunter came into my life. We crossed paths in a very interesting way that I won't necessarily go into right now unless prompted. And uh, she ended up moving from L.A. to where I'm at in Lawrence, Kansas, and now where we're at. And I actually had the podcast for probably two years after that, after you came along. One, two years, something like that. Somewhere around there. Yeah. We can go back and look. And I was just, uh, I was just doing it by myself and she was very interested in these topics too, which was fantastic because, you know, she was a partner, not only that, uh, I vibed with on lots of different levels, but we could talk about all kinds of crazy out there stuff and not, and realize that we had a safe place to do it. None of, right. neither of us were going to call the other one crazy or. Oh, it's such a good feeling. It is. It oh, is yeah. I didn't realize how important that was until Hunter came along. And and so but actually a couple of years went by and I was like, why the fuck don't you come on my podcast too? I think I'd thought about it before, but I thought that she would outshine me. Uh, <laughs> such a fantastic, quick wit, quick mind, uh, very inquisitive person. She can articulate much better than I can. And uh, so I was like, Maybe I should, I don't know. God, she would just take over the show. She'd be great. I'm suck. Like <laughs> my confidence kind of dwindled a little bit, but then she said, fuck it. And I asked her if she would, she said, yes. And, uh, and it's been incredible. Like we're a great team. I usually am the one that does all the research and she kind of just comes in blindly, which felt well. <laughs> That's me and Andy. Yeah. <laughs> who's, the, who's the blind one? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I still like to be blind on a lot of things too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, and lots of times that can really help. So because she can have beginner's mind. She doesn't have a like a preset agenda or loose agenda to go into an interview with. So we've been doing it that way and it's been incredible. It's been a lot of fun and we've been having great conversations with lots of people. Yeah, you guys absolutely work great together on the show. Uh Thank I you. think you are, you know, you guys are you yeah like one of you will articulate something while the other one's trying to think of it like we, that happened a lot of times on our podcast together you know you guys are finishing each other's sentences half the time so yeah. it works out really well when you have a partnership like that and it translates mm -hmm. into something like this you know it's mm -hmm. it can be challenging so that's really cool really cool and you guys have been going pretty strong for a while yeah yeah i think so do you have anything to add to that, to that well section? i before i met Chris <laughs> and I I'm almost embarrassed to say this now that I co-host a podcast but before I met Chris I'd never even listened to a podcast I didn't <laughs> know what podcasts were I knew nothing about them I I had a very weird childhood and growing up and so I kind of grew up in the uh just in the conspiracy world I cut my teeth on conspiracy from the time I was an infant so That's that cool. world was very uh known to me but I came from a world of secrets where you didn't really talk about this stuff with normies or they can you know with what we would consider the consensus reality so I lived very much double life my whole childhood and so when 
Chris and I got together and he was talking to people. I was like, you know, the, you know, there's going to be people at our door. And what if the fucking government comes get us? Because I had grown up in a world of secrets and, you know, my grandfather helped start the NSA. And so I learned from a childhood you just don't talk about certain things. And, and so your mom was very paranoid too. Right? My mom was incredibly paranoid and she was a Rosicrucian and, you wow. know, she did all kinds of witchcraft and shit when I was a kid. And my father came from a, a witchy family on his mother's side. And so in my world, you just didn't speak about these things. They just were part of you, who you were in the fabric of your family, but you didn't share this stuff with the public. And yeah. so when I got into the Carlos Castaneda world. Again, it's a world of secrets and double lives and living more than one identity. And, and so that was very comfortable for me. And I remember kind of observing Chris and having him having these amazing conversations with people and thinking, you know, is our phone going to get tapped? Like, are we, (laughs) (laughs) is our phone going to get more tapped? Yeah, exactly. How many more lists are we going to be on? So I feel like that was where I was maybe a little bit more hesitant to dive into uh, the general public and kind of put myself out there in that way. And, you know, he had Tracy Twyman on his show. He was the last person to interview Tracy before she died. And so, again, I'm one of these people that I was like, you know, what is that going to bring attention to us? Is that a bad thing? You know, we have kids that from Chris's previous relationship. So I, I had concerns, but you know, a few years in, I was like, okay, well, you know, nothing seems to really be happening. Our our tires aren't getting slashed. We're not really <laughs> being extra followed or yep. anything. So, okay, this is cool. No voice to skull technology. Yeah. Well, there's always that. That's all <laughs> to some degree or the other, the headaches, you know, the, you know, the voice of God stuff, but mm-hmm. I just love it. I love his curious mind and the people that he is interested in are people that I have always wanted to talk to. And the fact that he has such bravery and courage to reach out to people where I'm, I'm just like, this person's never going to write me back. So (laughs) I waste my time to send them an email because they're never going to write me back. And he gets responses from really incredible people. And so we've had Mm -hmm. some great people on the show and I totally approach it from beginner's mind. So he's like the professor and he does all the research and notes and, and I'm, I'm just like, you're lucky if I've showered. (laughs) I just basically show up and I'm like, okay, so who are we talking to? What's this about? Like, what are we doing? And I I think initially he would kind of try to nudge me toward doing research. And I said, what I don't want is ask the same question that someone's been asked 50 fucking times. I don't want to be a person. So 
I'm the person who's like, are you happy? Like, how does this affect your family? Or, you know, and I ask weird questions to remarkable people. And so it kind of, we balance each other out in that way. So the stuff that people want to hear, they get to hear from Chris. And then they get this other weird side of someone that maybe no one's ever asked that question before. So that's excellent. That's really good. Did we I get mean, the job? absolutely yeah definitely um yeah i'm not even sure what we should start off with here but i'm just really glad to talk to you guys again and i think yeah the what you're describing is a really good way to to approach it i mean you have kind of two different perspectives working at the same time and that's a good way to do it you know okay. um so I know that we connected particularly over a lot of our psychedelic uh, notions and, and experiences and things like that. And um, yeah, I personally have come a long way in the world of psychedelics and like who my heroes were and still might be or not anymore, you know, and, and we touched on that a little bit. I was just curious what your take on the, you know, the modern push for psychedelics and the medical industry and what's going on. And it seems like it's uh, manufactured in a way that us crazy conspiracy theorists don't really like usually. And I know we touched on this before in our previous encounter, but yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, quickly, I feel like I'm having a psychedelic experience looking at Shane's background. How many times we have we have that reaction? I feel like you're going to give people flashbacks. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, to me, a flashback is just a Tuesday. Like, that's just kind of a normal state that I'm in. So if I stare at that too long, I'm, I start to go into an, an altered state. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That everlasting control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I am in the uh, psychological world right now. I'm studying to be a clinical psychologist, and I've seen this push in the past few years for psychedelics. And mm. it seems, uh, you know, in some regards, I think what's great about it is that it's bringing plant medicine into a conversation that perhaps has been uh, fringe or seemed fringe for many, many decades. Mm. So in that regard, I think it's great. Do I think everyone should be on psilocybin all the time? Absolutely fucking not. Someone's <laughs> got to make the roads. Someone's got to keep the infrastructure going. I think that there are people who are capable of handling psychedelics and there are people that are not. I don't think you should give them to infants. I don't think you should give them to children. I think that there are very specific controlled situations where it's okay for the elderly to take them. Um, people who are getting at end of life, who maybe have cancer or other uh, diseases, they need to kind of handle that transition. So yes, I think that psychedelics have a place in our culture do i think that the government needs to have a hand in that and needs to synthesize plant medicines absolutely not i think if big pharma gets involved it's putting the kibosh on something that should be coming from someone's garden coming from 
you know, a cow patty in your paddock, you know, something it's an organic substance that needs to remain in that state. I totally agree. Chris, how do you feel, man? Uh, I think that the problem with that is that, yeah, sure. I don't think masses of people should be on these things, just like masses of people shouldn't be snake handlers. Like it's just, it's something that you need to come to semi-organically, especially if you're uh, dealing with something really, really potent or really potent psychedelic completely out of any sort of cultural context or lineage or anything like that. You're just freewheeling it and you're going to take it before you go to worlds of fun or something like that. It's like, <laughs> That doesn't, that doesn't work. You sh there right. should be, you know, not guidelines in the sense of really staunch, uh, immovable rules, but um, it should be approached, obviously, with some sort of respect and not done recreationally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the, it's a good reason that magical organizations are probably better left obscure and small is because not everybody should have access to not not just shouldn't have access to it but shouldn't partake of it uh like you know like you're in a shopping mall and you just happen to come across the store that sells mushrooms it's like mm. well I never thought about doing that nancy what do you think let's do it let's do right. that yeah yeah. It's like, yeah that's not how you that's not how you should approach something like that because you're you know you have to be grounded first and foremost. You should take the time to do the research as to what it is that you're getting into, or maybe the history of what it is that you're you're wanting to take, mm. and just do it as mindfully as possible. So, I think when it's, things are legalized or at least decriminalized, it's too easy to 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 take it for granted and to just do it on a whim. Mm. Uh, and that may work for some people. something of this magnitude, especially. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. If we're going this angle, sorry to interrupt. I, I would say the same thing about uh, edible cannabis. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. It can be extremely psychedelic. Absolutely. And for somebody who's never, you know, consumed cannabis before and somebody's like, yeah, eat the whole bag, 100 milligrams. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. it seems I that it could it... be the most advanced form of medicine because it's the most ancient as well. But like, let's just frame it in our context where it's like the most advanced thing. It seems to be solving a lot of problems, yet it's coming into our culture, almost being pushed, it seems, in a lot of ways, um, irresponsibly sometimes towards the most irresponsible form of culture we've ever had, which has mm -hmm. seemingly been programmed to be very childlike and yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a question in there, but go ahead. I cut you off. <laughs> no, not at all. I I think that uh I would put the caveat that I think they can be used recreationally. I think that they're some of my finest, greatest moments have been using recreational psychedelics. Uh, I don't think you can get addicted to psychedelics. I think that's pretty well been proven. Right. Uh, but I think that reading other people's experiences and this is from my perspective i think that's dangerous i don't think you can the plant either accepts you or it doesn't accept you and i think when you go in with a file that's like okay this is the cannabis file or this is the psilocybin file and then you're kind of prepped for that experience then you you are already kind of writing what the story is of that uh substance and sometimes i think it's better again and this is maybe just how i roll the beginner's mind of just allowing 
that substance to go inside your body and seeing if that accepts you or you accept it. Because I do think that there's a symbiotic relationship there. But if I take LSD and I've read, well, if I take 17 hits, I'm going to go crazy. And, you know, this fear that was going around in the 70s and 80s that it made you clinically insane if you took it. I think that primed a lot of people to be freaked out about yeah. taking psychedelics when there was a reason and a rationale behind that. If you have mental health issues, if you're borderline personality, bipolar, schizophrenic, mm -hmm. of course, you should not be taking psychedelic drugs. There's reasons why just chemically your body is not capable of handling going on a, a journey like that. So mm -hmm. I think that, again, it's on, on an ad hoc basis. We can't say across the board, you know, this should be, there should be a psilocybin shop on every corner. Everyone should be able to have access to these uh, substances because I've seen what happens. I lived in California when cannabis was legalized and, you know, there was a period of time where you saw little, you know, those little like airplane sized bottles of booze. Yeah. You used to see those all over, like just kind of trash garbage that's been dropped. Now it's these little uh, pharmaceutical bottles that people can buy, you know, either, you know, pre-rolls or yeah. just a few edibles. You see that shit all over the, the place. The little plastic guys. They look like, yeah, yeah they're yeah. just everywhere. Yeah. They look like cigar Garcia Vega cartons. Yeah. yeah, it can be that or actually looks like a pharmaceutical bottle. Mm. So again, it's, it's th this idea that, okay, we've medicalized this thing, but who are the people who are using these substances and are they being responsible with these substances or is it just this fuck it attitude? Like booze gives you the fuck it attitude where you drink this thing and then you just throw it and you're like, fuck it, you know? So I think it's just a level of responsibility when it comes to any mind altering substance, whether that be sugar, whether that be cannabis, whether that be alcohol, that I think we have lost in our society, in our, in our culture. So I don't know what the answer to fix this is. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. to fix it. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. I often say like, we're having these, we're having these ancient answers pop up in this very modern culture. And it's like incongruent right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is the weird birth pangs of like the the transitional period. And psychedelics always seems to be like, uh, in my opinion, one of the central issues uh, for people that don't use psychedelics. It is left field or mm -hmm. evil and satanic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But yeah. for those of us who have had the experience, I do say the experience. Shane knows what I'm talking about. And <laughs> I think you guys do, too, because. It's a place. It's a familiar thing. It's a deep inside feeling. It's it's everything. But um, those of us who have had that kind of have this, I don't know, I guess from the outside point of view, it must seem cult like to even if enough of us got together and talked about it. And we would seem just as crazy as or scary as those that we often uh, talk about negatively or fearfully in the conspiracy community. And I liked something you said there about like, 
Chris, that you said, you know, in a way, maybe it shouldn't be given away to everybody. Like almost, I don't know. I took from that just a hint of, because I've talked about it before on the show, this idea that the secret societies of the past may have had a good reason of trying to keep the genie in the bottle. Absolutely. Not to say that all their secrets have to do with psychedelics, but I would say well, psychedelic, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Ancient drum beatings, uh, psychedelics, and sex rituals, you know? Sure. <laughs> Probably Absolutely. what it makes up, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said about that. The, the point in evolution that we're at right now is that, you know, we are very technologically advanced as far as, um, you know, our endeavors in the, in that world, but we're very spiritually not advanced. Uh, and that's really where you need, uh, the experience under your belt. If you're going to go into the, you know, the potent psychedelic world mm -hmm. is you need to have some sense of maturity. I mean, just enough, uh, playfulness obviously is important too, but, um, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's like monkeys with with atomic bombs like you you, you really need to and i think i mean before all really of this stuff analogy. became yeah, yeah 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 i think before all this stuff became legal uh i think the the you know it, all of this stuff was easy enough to get as it is i i think the right amount of people were able to have the right amount of connections and nobody really had problems getting the stuff that they wanted and so availability wise, I, you know, it'll make it easier, but will it make it easier for people who really are dedicated and, and knew where to get it in the first place? Or is it going to make it easy mm. for people to just, as we were talking about earlier, haphazardly, spontaneously stumble into a store and go, I'm, I'm going to do a really high amount of this high octane psychedelic just on a whim, you know? Right. And also what does it say about, like when it, because when you frame it like that, it almost feels like the the only reason to make it legal is so we don't get in trouble by mom yeah. and dad. Exactly. Like, that's a disturbing thought to think that like, but it's, I don't know, you painted an interesting picture there real quick. I feel the <laughs> same way about protesting. You know, you're walking through the street. What are you doing? You're just in the living room jumping up and down at mom washing the dishes like trying to get her to pay attention to you like exactly like you're begging for approval you know yeah, no, and that's the wrong maybe the wrong channel to go through just do yeah. your own thing and and just maybe concentrate more on not getting caught as opposed to asking permission because <laughs> you know what mom and dad's gonna say fuck them you know mm. yeah, I, also think the, I think also <laughs> the way that these things have been introduced in the past 60, 70, 80 years, that, those are the concerns for me. You know, when you have the Nazis doing research with psychedelics, you have the United States government doing research with psychedelics, you know, all of these projects and, and programs happening with the government, with, you know, world governments, I think that's where I get a little cringy, like, okay, well, if this is something that Adolf Hitler was fucking with and dosing people and, you know, Operation Climax and the CIA doing it with government officials and trying to see how, what level of uh, information they could get in interrogations, I think that's where I get concerned because, okay, these were very specific projects that were being done with the military and with the government, with CIA. Now we're going to have a shop on the corner that has psychedelics, has 
cannabis that is probably 10 times as strong yeah. as the cannabis was in the 70s. You know, in the 70s, you're talking maybe 7 to 10% THC. And now you can get shatter that's like 98% THC. And I've had, I had an edible <laughs> when I was living in California. I got... Mm -hmm. I got into my car and I lived in Inglewood and I was driving from the San Fernando Valley. So basically from Encino all the way to uh, Inglewood, which is like an hour drive. And I took a 500 milligram edible and I ate it and I was like, oh, I'll probably start going on, you know. 10 minutes before I get home. And that's cool. Like I can drive 10 minutes fucked up. It's fine. <laughs> Not five minutes later, I'm driving and my head has completely fallen on the steering wheel. And I was cross. Now this is, I'm a lifelong smoker. I've smoked. I don't smoke anymore, but at that point I had smoked since I was 16. So mm. talking 30 plus years of smoking cannabis and I had never been hit so hard by an edible. And I was like, this shit is, and this is before they changed it where now you can't get an edible that's more than 200 milligrams. I was like, how am I going to get home? I am hallucinating. Like I was so fucked up. And I just thought, and anyone can walk into this store with an ID and get one of these things and get behind the wheel of a vehicle and drive and but it's, it's against the law. So they won't do it. Right. Exactly. Just like <laughs> alcohol, just like alcohol, <laughs> you know? So I think that's the thing that I, I, I look at is, you know, I'm a responsible imbiber when I take drugs and alcohol and I put myself in a fucking stupid situation. And then I had to get myself home totally fucked up so mm. i think as a responsible person i think of how many irresponsible people have access and then get behind the wheel and they're just like fuck it right, <laughs> right. just gonna ride the lightning until i get wherever i'm going <sighs> you know but i've known people on valium that wrecked cars and you know had prescriptions and were totally screwed up on a prescription drug that they got from a doctor. And so again, what is the solution? Like, how do we navigate these times when they're the powers that be that are coming in that are really influencing people to what, to what, to what end to, sh to, right. you know, uh, control them or to create, uh, civil wars to create lockdown to give an, an excuse to lock people down and up like right. the, the fact that a weed store and a, a liquor store were considered essential businesses Very, I, yeah. I couldn't go get my hair done <laughs> i could go get an ounce if right. i needed like it was just, it would seem so upside down that whole time when, when that whole nightmare was happening. Yeah. Again, I go back oh. to this like projected utopia that is being built, you know, it, at least that's kind of what it seems like in a way. And I, I want to think positive. I've always wanted them to be legal and I wanted them to, you know, I wanted everyone to have access. Like literally I felt this way. And what's interesting yeah. 
do you guys pick up on this that like youth is being honored more in public affairs than it was 20 30 40 years ago and i mean i'm sure that's kind of a broad topic to talk about but we're talking psychedelics you know uh just the the whole liberal culture that we've seen seems to have more influence on public affairs and public opinion these days, or maybe I'm just, this is my first time experiencing people 15, 20 years younger than me having influence, but I don't remember having any sort of, I remember being pissed off that none of this was happening mm -hmm. when I was younger. So it's just weird. And yeah, I don't know if there's a question in there again. No, no, I, I think I know what you mean. I mean, the liberal, but the liberal uh, vanguard that's kind of running things now is a different one than was uh, in place maybe 30, 20, 30 years ago, because yeah. this is totally and blatantly been co-opted by the establishment. So like and that I think maybe that turnaround or the final push for that, that may have happened during the whole COVID bullshit. Mm. Um when the liberals, and I've said it a million times, but it just it, it is pertinent to what we're saying, oh, the liberals were the ones that were being pushed to do the right thing. They were the ones that were going, you know, I'm for protecting other people because I'm a selfless do-gooder. So mm. then that turned into being a lockstep authoritarian non-questioner and I didn't like big pharma and I protested wall street and so on and so forth. But now I'm, I bl believe everything politicians and medical officials and big corporations that make shitloads of, I mean, outrageously, uh, uh, out of proportion profits for drugs that people supposedly need to just break even. Now I believe everything that they all say. So then that kind of cemented this new, uh, sort of neoliberalism, I guess is what it's called, which mm. is, you know, I'm for all inclusiveness. We'll even include crooked politicians and, and heads of corporations. And yeah, it's just it's just a different it's a different iteration of the kind of liberalism, I think, that was happening 20, 20, 20 30 years ago. Yeah. Totally different beast. Hmm. No, that's that an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it's just an advanced version, you know, but I sure. what were you going to say? No, no. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that 30, 40 years ago uh, that I was trying to be part of the establishment. I think that I was really happy being a goth and being a punk rocker and being on the fringes and being on the outside. Uh, I feel like I was able to do more when I didn't try to fit in. Um, I know I had more sex. I know I did more drugs. I know I had, I traveled more. I, I had a fuckload of fun. And now statistically, when you look at people of the same age that I'm talking about, they are having less sex. They are not traveling. They are not having any experiences in what we would call the default world, like out face to face. It's all virtual. It's all on the computer. It is uh, a higher uptick of video gaming and avatar and, and this meta, this idea of the meta world being better than the real world. And I think that that's perhaps the most um, disturbing aspect of what I see happening. 
what I find interesting is the influence is not the teenager now. Now it seems to be this obsession with preteens and this Mm. obsession with sexualizing children that are not of the age of consent and certainly not of the age that we should be looking at them as sex objects or sexual beings. So I think that there is a definite element of um, indoctrination in that and of pivoting away. And it's easy to sound like the old fuddy-duddy, like, get off my lawn. It's easy to sound like that when in reality, what I'm pointing out is when I was 16 years old and 17 years old and going to gay bars and watching drag shows, they were very body, they were very sexual, and there was not a child around. This was not, there was no story time with you know, three-year-olds watching a grown man twerk in fishnets. That shit was not fucking happening at Uh, all. And drag queens weren't, they were actually men trying to look like women, not men trying to look like divine on the worst psychedelic trip you could ever think of. (laughs) You guys know how I mean, John Waters divine. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah, like just exaggerated. I mean, they're fucking nightmarish. Like, yeah, (laughs) like it's creepy. You make women look awful by, by, that's supposed to be a woman that you're dressing up as? Like, that's just. It's a mockery. It's offensive. Yeah, it is. Well, and the offensive part as a woman is observing this and watching heterosexual women sign off on this and be like, this is totally okay. Because the people who are supporting these movements, from my experience, are not heterosexual men. It's heterosexual women that are saying, we have to be inclusive and trans women are women and we need to let them in the bathroom and into sports and And there's a very small segment of the population that is actually trying to protect children and protect um, youth in general. And I find those voices to be the most interesting right now because it's really trying to stem this tide of, uh, again, this sexualization that is so fucking inappropriate. It is so inappropriate to have a grown man with an erect penis going into a spa where there's little girls walking around and him saying, I'm a woman. Right. (laughs) Well, your penis isn't a woman. So (laughs) I don't know what the fuck you think you are or what you're doing, but you're not in the right space. So I, my, my way of kind of managing this is, understanding the dysphoria gender dysphoria is a real thing i yes i believe it's some form of mind control yes i believe that that is happening right now on some strange global scale but i think we need to create third spaces third sports so it's not men competing in women's sports it's transgender people competing against each other in their own sport having their own bathroom so i don't believe in inclusion and i don't believe in exclusion i believe that there's a way that we can navigate this where if you're truly trans 
gender, if you're truly transsexual, you can be that, but you cannot co-opt another gender space. You have Mm. to have your own lane. You cannot be in women's spaces. You cannot be in men's spaces. And if the whole idea is like, we're special, well, let's make you special. Let's right. You punched you... your ticket. You can't play on this ride anymore. Exactly. <laughs> I just yeah. think, I think it that sounds very exclusionary, but you know, <laughs> well, I don't give a fuck because <laughs> what I care about is making sure that a little girl is not confronted with a, reality that they're not ready for absolutely fucking right it's our job to protect children as adults it's our job it's not our job to make someone else feel anything i can't make you feel happy sad bad i can't but the this whole uh movement is well this makes me feel uncomfortable and this makes me feel and you're you're excluding me and so i feel this well own your feelings right exactly it's the opposite of a spiritual movement to be honest i mean and a lot of it's mixed in with quote-unquote new age i see these these things slowly coming together like being pushed together all these different topics being pushed and merged and it's like well it's interesting because it's the polar opposite of what you're supposed to do as spiritual growth. You know, it's the opposite of looking within. They're literally just ignoring anything within. And I just to just to, before I forget, um, when I came out of psychedelics initially without any guidance, you know, just my own mind with what I had experienced, you know, I started getting into this mentality over time that a very good friend of mine was able to kind of pull me out of a little bit. And it was this thing where he he basically took me aside and was like, you're so busy saying how this and this and that and this and that are all the same on some level that you're forgetting that on this level, they're all individual things. They're all different. Like you're forgetting this whole self-similarity thing is ruining the individuation of all things as well. Like you're, ru- yep. you're getting to the end of the whole thing without appreciating what everything individually is. And that floored me. And, and I've of course remembered it for 20 wow, years yeah. now. And I'm wondering, let's get real meta here. Let's suspend our knowledge or, or theories or, or suspicions about the elites and pedophilia and stuff like that. And let's, Keep in mind the secret societies that run things and where they go back to and what the psychologies were back then. And we know that these sacred plant medicines were being used then too. Are they trying to do away with duality? Are they trying to kind of project that immature view that everything's the same? Ageism doesn't matter. This does no, no, uh, discernment is important anymore I, I don't know it's just a weird thought that keeps nagging at me because all these things they're doing while they have their independent motives and you know we think it's satanic or this or that from a broader standpoint is something broader going on in that in a very you know uh, a psychedelic conscious sort of way you know from an ego point of view almost i don't know that sounds like a lot of uh word salad but what do you think <laughs> What do you think? I've got a great dressing to put on top of all that. No. <laughs> um, I think that one of the tenets of postmodernism, which is uh, kind of the philosophy that a lot of this is is stemming from, is that everything is relative, uh, which is true. Everything is relative. But it's 
and that but but they take that the subjectivity slice of that and they take it to the nth degree so there's no absolutes there's no objective reality um and that you know there's that's in a sense there are very big aspects of reality that aren't objective they are very subjective and they are influenced by the perceiver but by what I mean by they take that to the nth degree is they take it to into the realm of biology, for instance, with genders. And it's all relative. It's all a social construct. Everything is a social construct. Math is racist. I mean, right. they're taking they're putting that into the hall of mirrors and timesing it by a million and it, without anything to replace it, like. It would be interesting. It would be one thing to call this stuff out and then go, what we really need to do is concentrate on blah, 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 and have mm. some sort of place, a foundation to build something new on. But it's more like just exploding things into chaos, saying everything is meaningless, raising it all to the ground without having a goddamn thing to replace it with. So you have a lot of misguided uh i mean it's it's called inclusivity but i think it's it's really just a kind of a an outwardly aimed narcissism mm. uh, <laughs> i mean is, is, am i making any sense Do yes you know? yeah. i i think that there is an agenda and there is a very specific plan what the the initial destruction has been the destruction of the family that was step mm, one sure now it's the destruction of uh, the binary morals. Me- well, yes. sure, for sure. <laughs> and these are all all goes together. These are all these all work together. Then it is the binary male and female. So now we don't have male and female. We have just kind of a mishmash of kaleidoscope. Right. Dragons. The idea, ultimately, the idea uh, I would posit is that is this is a post-human movement. Mm. So the idea is that humans are, are outmoded. They're not necessary. We can uh, have machines do our learning, do our, uh, basically every job that's under $20 an hour will be gone in another 25 years, this is what people are, are hypothesizing. Uh, but I, I think that the ultimate intention is obviously the depopulation of the earth, uh, because there's not a lack of resources. There's not a lack of land. We have an abundance of resources. We have an abundance of land. But the people you call elites, I call predators. And sure. what their yeah. intention Parasites. is, is sure. to absolutely is to destroy humanity and then in its place replace it with this hive mind. Right. So I think that's ultimately what the intention is. Is so, there manufactured is there a, singularity? But is there is in that scenario, in your view, is there a group that remains outside of that and just has their playground? Is that what you're suggesting? Or would they become a part of that too? I think that, you know, what we have seen from, you know, just the some of the people who have uh been lost along the way i don't think anyone is safe i think there is a a shelf life for every human uh so i think people 
the sales pitch when you get to a certain level in this predatory race is that you will be one of the few, one of the chosen, but even those people disappear, even those people mm. end up dying. So I don't know that there will be someone of the human race left. I think there's another layer above that, that could be parasitic. It could be reptilian. It could be, um, extra or internal terrestrial because i don't necessarily think that the the reptilian race comes from another planet i think it comes from inside this planet so uh, yeah so i think that there are layers of uh this hierarchy that we can't even begin to understand so we think the rothschilds are in charge they ain't in charge (laughs) we think that the medici family the medicis aren't in charge there's some other uh some people would call it satanic demonic nebulous energy that is running the show and these are just the puppets that basically do that energy's bidding Mm. so check out this perspective to flip it completely upside down i like Mm. it um so all of the evil is really ultimately happening for good because good always wins out in the end of every story Mm -hmm. just about but Mm -hmm. uh so yeah like everything bad is happening just to wake everyone up to be like oh yeah that's that's no good Get that out of here, mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. boom! Consciousness shift. Drove Could that be happening on like an ontological level too? Like, <laughs> like we're part of a big picture that's beautiful, but in in the details, there's all these fiery areas and yeah. stuff like that. You yeah. know? I, and we're getting close to our little red button here, Shane. <laughs> Shane and I have this red button when we've reached the the, the psychedelic end of the, the spiral where it's suddenly everything is I and I is everything and Brahman is the world. And suddenly, <laughs> well, Brahman's doing all of this. And, uh, and I wonder because yeah, in the, the spirit of our, of our psychedelic union here that we all appreciate, uh, you know, I know that Shane and I have talked about this at depths about how that universal law of one and, you know, one consciousness and how, of course the parasites, the predators, the new age, whatever angle you want to look at it, they love hijacking these words like oneness and interconnected and all, all that but of course that's only because it works because there's a reality to those things as well. And I just, I'm curious, like where do these reptilians elites parasites with their master plan to destroy and, and who wants this robot to take over unless there's someone on the outside, like, uh, living a playboy life benefiting from a slave race or a robotic uh hive mind to serve them or something i I don't know but where does that all fit into the idea of possibly that all of this is one consciousness possibly i don't know if you subscribe to that anyway i'm just saying that that's a powerful and very ancient idea and so Mm -hmm. i'm curious what your thoughts might be how that plays into it do you know how to apprehend that Sure. <laughs> I, I, I figured you did. I'm still I'm putting something together. So I, I'm doing. I think that there is 
you know, if you look at the yin and the yang, and this is so pedestrian to say this because it's so simplistic, but if you look at the totality of this symbology, there is a little bit of black in the white and there's a little bit of white in the black. So, you know, from a very rudimentary perspective, you cannot know good unless you know evil. You mm-hmm. have to have that. That is part of the karmic balance and the karmic da- dance. I think that we have co- gone so far out of balance and out of that dance that there will be some rejiggering or or recalibration to even things out. Mm. Ultimately, if these fuckers wanted us dead, we'd all be dead. Right. If, if if they wanted to drop a nuke, that would have happened already. But there's something that is preventing these things. It's that is thwarting their plans. What I have found interesting in the past three years was I was so fascinated at how compliant people were. When it came to the masking, when it came to the lockdown, when it came to shutting people up because of the brainwashing mechanism of how this all started, you don't want to kill grandma. You don't want to kill grandma. And if you go outside, you're going to kill grandma. If you don't wear a mask, you're going to, well, my grandma was a fucking demon and I would (laughs) be okay with my grandma. My grandma's dead. Thank God. But (laughs) That didn't work for me. So when that whole thing started, I was like, "Are people really buying this bullshit?" This right. whole they, they don't care about your. They don't care about the elderly. <laughs> like it was so. It was so insane that that worked for the average person yeah. because what they're trying to appeal to is your sense of goodness your sense of righteousness, of wanting to do the right thing, of being a decent human, as Chris said. So that was the the trick. That was the slippery slope that they used to get into people's psyches. And it worked. And I think when all of this happened, what really concretized my relationship with Chris was that he was like, this is all bullshit. Like I can't believe people are doing this. And I was like, thank God, thank God. I'm not the only person that sees this and that my partner understands this fucking insanity because had he not, then it becomes Stepford wives where you're like, okay, everyone is a robot. Everyone buys bullshit and I'm the only one who's awake. So I think it solidified our relationship because we understood kind of what was going on and i think that it's what you're saying shane enough people woke up that needed to be kind of knocked off the fence like they were the people who were like yeah the government's bullshit but i'm gonna keep my mouth shut and i need to keep my benefits and i need to keep my job so i'm not gonna stir it up too much but when it came down to but am I going to get this jab? Am I going to do this to keep my job? There's a lot of people who are pissed because they ended up doing it. So I think those people who have lost people who just died suddenly, I think those are the people that are really becoming more engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like a whole new wave perhaps such a dangerous thing too. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, please. You I was going to say something together. 
Speaking to what Shane was saying about uh, this good or this all of this bad stuff pushing people into some sort of a more aware state, I think that there's something totally to that. I think that all of this, I mean, I, I think the Hindus called it yugas, and we're in the Kali Yuga now, and I think there's cycles of, I want to say 26,000 years, maybe it's 6,000 mm -hmm. years, I don't recall the figures. 26? Okay. And we're drawing near the end of that. And which I think one of the symptoms of that is some wild pendulum swinging back and forth. And we're seeing a lot of that shit right now, but it's weird. It almost sometimes seems like there's two pendulums. Like one is swinging further to the darkness and one is swinging further to the lightness, but maybe that's just the same one going back and forth. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's getting quicker. Maybe it's getting quicker. Uh, but I think that the natural order of the universe is to find balance uh, because harmony, I mean, you look in nature, harmony is how it works until, you know, the wolf eats the rabbit or whatever. It's not so harmonious for the rabbit. But any, anything that's disharmonious from a grander point of view ends up being harmonious once again to a greater absolutely. scale. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, which is what I was going to get at. Oh, sorry. <laughs> zoom, no, 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 not at all. The, the farther you zoom out, the more it, I think it makes some sort of sense because we're very, very close to the subject matter, which is our lives and things that are happening in our lives and our families and communities' lives and this planet, for for instance, or realm, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think it gets it's easy to get lost in that, it's easy to get lost in it, because we're in the middle of the weird, abstract, Hieronymus Bosch painting that seems like it's <laughs> been going on forever, and it's going to go on forever more. But I think the, the farther away you get out, the more you can probably see that there's something else ha happening. And it is finding the equilibrium that will eventually get us to a place where the pendulum is more in the middle and there is more harmony. Although, you know, then there are, there are people, a lot of Eastern philosophy will point you in their direction that you need dualism, that you need conflict mm -hmm. and, and to grow and to push you and to do. So I don't know. I don't know if there's an escape out of that. I don't know if the physical realm is the place where you work dual is this dualistic stuff like that out and then you maybe you graduate or finally mm -hmm. say fuck it i'm done with this and then you go somewhere else i'm not sure how that works do you guys have any thoughts on that well then you have the deeper yeah. buddhist aspect of that it's just all a mirror <laughs> <laughs> well and we don't know what agreement that that rabbit made with the wolf yes see that sure. from a karmic perspective uh -huh. we can say oh poor rabbit but maybe that's part of that rabbit's karma to be reincarnated into another being and so it made the agreement with the wolf to be eaten and and maybe what we have to shift is our judgment of these things yes. For sure. and if you look at all of these like suits that we're temporarily wearing and we're playing different roles and we're coming back and we're switching and so on and so forth then that rabbit is just a flash in the pan something will get the wolf the moose will get the wolf for you know it's right. just a chain reaction it's a again a bigger picture and there's a tons of moving parts and sometimes it's really hard to see from our finite point of view and yeah, this so is the hardest oh go ahead shane my perspective on it uh, i'll just give you my whole perspective on existence uh <laughs> you know i think uh you know duality and singularity are both happening at the same time i think everything that ever happened ever will happen ever could happen is all happening right now so, you know, Big Bang, if you want to call it, it's like, boom, it's happening. Every single instant is the reason why duality starts. 
Um, so yeah, everything in between, basically everything you just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because that you can extrapolate that to a bigger playing field and, and you, you have people saying, well, what about all the dying people? And what about all the poor, everyone suffering in the world? Like how do you, like you can, it's what so easy said. for us sometimes, uh, or at least this is the standpoint that it's easy for some of us to be able to look from our vantage point and say that, ah, yeah, everything is perfectly in, in balance. Uh, you know, if you can look at it from that higher point of view and then people freak out about all the suffering in the world. And it is, it's a difficult conversation. I think that's the, the, that's where a lot of conflict may come from in our big, deep philosophical talks in humanity, because we're kind of missing each other. Some of us are thinking from that broader perspective and yeah. some of us aren't or can't. And yeah, it's interesting how we're just in this big salad bowl and all of us are on those different levels and they're not greater or, or lesser. They're just different levels, you know, mm -hmm. and trying to communicate all together. We're all trying to communicate the same thing, but it, it's a very difficult task to do, but um, yeah. I, I go back to something that one of my mentors many years ago said about charity and the perspective of charity and what charity is about. And so much of the aspect of charity has to do with the onlooker. So, so much of that is the ego. Yeah. Like, well, I'm a good person. I donated to Red Cross when there was a hurricane and I gave money. And so then I'm going to put that on social media so everyone knows that I'm good because I have to prove that to the world. When in reality, what a lot of that is saying is, and again, this is my perspective. What you're saying is I'm in a better place than you are. Mm. So I'm better than you are. So I can help you. Well, maybe what you're doing isn't really helping someone. Maybe what you're doing is you're satisfying this ego need to look charitable. But in reality, that whatever that gesture is, A, isn't getting to that person because these organizations are full of corruption and they're, you know, padding, you know, the Black Lives Matter, for example, was a totally corrupted organization mm. where this woman's buying $11 million mansions in California and not giving shit for money to these, uh, you know, these little small versions of that organization. Companies. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't basically, she wasn't helping the people that she was collecting this money for. Right. So I think that's part of it is that this absolute power becomes absolutely corrupting. But again, what are you doing for someone really when you're giving them money? let's say it's a homeless person. You see someone on the street and they say, they hold up a sign that says need money for weed, need money. And I see this all the time, need money for booze, need money for food, need have no home, have three kids, you know, uh, the litany of, of excuses for someone not to work, but to go and stand on the street and hold a sign. Right. Uh, wh what are you doing by just giving that person money and not, Ignoring them, not uh, giving them food instead of money. Get, you know, how are you, are you reinforcing that cycle of their poverty 
or mm -hmm. are you doing something it's a gesture for the grander good where you know god looks at you and says okay well you gave to this person so i'm going to put a little red check next to your name because i know that you're a decent human being that you <laughs> can ignore suffering mm. so i think that has a lot to do with this is that we have to really understand are we throwing something further out of balance by engaging or trying to intervene or are we creating more balance by intervening yeah i, I don't know what do you guys that's a good think? question there's also the idea that's like there's no escaping the vanity like because even if you're doing something out of the pure goodness of your heart and just say it's like doing something nice for a total stranger well you're sure you're doing that to help them but why are you doing that to help them okay so they will do better okay but why does that matter Oh, it makes me feel better. Like at the end of the line, no matter how many steps you put in there, you're going to come back to, and that makes me happy. You know what I mean? It's, no, it's kind of a loop. I don't no know if there's what. anything wrong with that. No, nothing wrong but, with that at all. Um, I was going to say, you know, people are trying to be compassionate, but tough love is also being compassionate. Yeah. Someone argue yeah. more so. Yes. I had a friend, I had, I had a friend who owned a coffee shop and people would come in all the time. I was living in Austin and they would ask him for free coffee or money or, you know, and he would go, he would say this, he would look them dead in the eye and say, I am the pain provider. I'm not going to give you anything. No, the answer is no, no wow. free lunch here, no free coffee. No, because in his mind, what he was saying, and I just always found this so fascinating because this guy had a shit ton of money, mm -hmm. but his attitude was, I had to work for every dollar I have. No one gave me shit. And you know what? If people keep giving this person money, food, there's no motivation for them to get out of this cycle of poverty. Exactly. So all we are doing is reinforcing and re-entrenching this person's stuckedness. Or, or making it easier for them not to be pushed to a place where they have to choose, like, do I keep doing this or do I get the fuck out of this cycle and do something different because right. either way whether you give them money or not they're either going to continue to do what they're doing or they're not so the money is just a, a way to buy the the easy uh the easy way of that intersection of like okay well i i don't have to think about it for one more day because i've got this money i don't have to think yeah, about the, the sign should say need money to eliminate choices <laughs> <laughs> well and and i've talked to some people who are in that situation and they're like i make 300 bucks a day <laughs> yeah <I know>. begging <laughs> like just being on the street and being drunk you know, it's like I make $300 a day. That's more money than some attorneys make in some right. little towns, you know? So, you know, again, what are they doing? They are appealing to people's sense of goodness and they're yeah. taking advantage of someone else that is a mm -hmm. decent human being who maybe is naive or maybe doesn't understand the system or where that, that whole system works. So what this is, is the beast. Yeah. Yeah. 
This what is, is the beast. And I think that's why the ancients wrote it the way they did, because they know that when we really needed this information, we would still be in that very supernatural, terrified state of humanity that needed big, bad, scary monsters to try to lure us back into the right path, perhaps. I don't know. It was just a weird thought I just had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been soft mugged before. Have you ever been Damn. soft? where where you'll be out this used to happen to me in new york all the time and also happened in chicago where someone would come up and be like hey do you have you got a quarter you got it you know and then you open up your wall you know this is before i knew what the fuck to how to handle these situations do you have a quarter um well no all i have is five bucks well can i have it uh. sure you know, and then, hey, but you have more than five bucks. I'm really hungry. Like, and I need to play. And if I had 50 bucks, then I could get a hotel for tonight. Oh, man. Like, basically giving all of my money away because this person goes, oh, here's a mark. Mm -hmm. Someone I can take advantage yes. of mm -hmm. who maybe thinks I might punch them if they say no. Mm -hmm. She's just going to go. Sounds very biblical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know? yeah, soft mugging it happens wow yeah it sounds <laughs> yeah. like a scam it sounds like it, it just to take that on like a bigger fractal level and you're just talking about the government <laughs> gypsies, gypsies. Right. Yeah. they do that all the time and then drive away in a mercedes i'm like you right <laughs> oh man <laughs> well this has been really awesome having you guys on and I appreciate your perspectives on all this stuff. I really do. And okay. uh, before I let you go, please let my audience know where they can find you. The easiest place to go would be the meltpodcast.net. And pretty much uh, the top menu there is where you can find most of the places that we're at. Um, you can listen to our episodes there and I think even download them. We have a YouTube channel. We're on Instagram. We're slowly making our way to locals and uh, subscribe star because Patreon sucks. We are on <laughs> Patreon too at the moment, but yeah, we have tons of links. I can send them to you and you can put them in the episode notes if you'd like. Excellent. Absolutely. And well, everybody. Yeah, Hunter, go ahead if you have. Oh, you can. Anyone that wants to uh, criticize, <laughs> me, uh, please feel free to. I love it. I love. I hate. I hate just constant praise. Like, love me, love me. It's like no. Like, I want. I want prodding. Challenge. I, want, I exactly. I want to be better at what yes. I do. And the way that you get better is by people challenging your ideas and your perspectives. So, if anyone wants to email me, you can reach me at Hunter Muse at protonmail.com and i love you guys thank you so much for having us yes. on Likewise. it's been absolutely amazing i love your listeners i'm sure you've got some really cool people listening Hell so yeah. thank you thank you thank you very much for having us yeah and good to meet you shane yes excellent meeting both of you yes likewise and shane of course thank you so much for joining us oh, again bro love having you having here, brother man. Shane and I do a Patreon show together called The Deep End, where we basically just shoot the shit and watch clips and get into all sorts of weirdness. Who Talk knows about the big red week button. Week. Talk about that big red button. Yeah, <laughs> of course, that comes around quite a bit. Cool. Becomes a little bit of an echo chamber here and there. So we like to <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was really great having you guys. Always fun talking to you. And yeah, uh, yeah everybody go check out the Melt Podcast if you don't already. And uh, see you next time. Thanks for being with us. Thank right. you. Farewell. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Deep Shit.
Chair Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, Cassius Paria. Enough, I get the point. <laughs> you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you will atone. What do we know? What do we know? If I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? I mean... <laughs> <laughs>